You're listening to The Pipeline Show. With if one of y'all says some silly ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of bitch. Back on The Pipeline Show this week, and we're going to start this week's episode off uh, talking a little American Hockey League, which we don't do enough probably here on The Pipeline Show, but uh, because I don't always have a qualified guests to talk about the AHL, I do this week. Elaine Shercliffe, who writes for The Cannon, covering the Columbus Blue Jackets Farm Club. That would be the Cleveland Monsters. Welcome to The Pipeline Show, Elaine. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for making time this week. Uh, I guess I'm doing better than maybe the monsters are doing. As I look at the standings, <laughs> how's that for a segue? The uh, the monsters last place in their division, the only team in the division with a sub 500 record. Uh, what's gone wrong here for the monsters this year? Um, honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with the guys going up and down so much and all the injuries. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now they um, have just enough guys on the roster, and that's including two PTOs. <laughs> wow. So the fact that, and in most of the games, they've been in it till the very end. So, I mean, at least something is working, but it's not like it was at the beginning of the season where they were just high rolling going and they were just doing really well. I mean, and at this, in the same token, I tell fans that they should not be as upset because the whole point of the AHL is to develop the guys to go up top and and produce and they went up top and they're never going to see probably Nathan Gerby again for the rest of the season so so I mean some of these guys are just going up there and doing well and Tortorella's having a hard time wanting to send them back yeah that's a nice success story for Gerby a guy who'd been in the league for a long time but a long time ago now worked his way back up to the NHL and the goaltending situation for the uh, the monsters is pretty similar too. those guys have been shuttled back and forth they have well and um matisse come has come down a few times matisse kivlenik's come down a few times to get some playing time in um when it was they were just riding elvis the whole time mm-hmm. but i feel like now since he he got that win his confidence skyrocketed and i think they've just decided to kind of leave him up there knowing that he is comfortable enough to come off the bench and just play where um Vavalainen, he's young, he's a rookie. He still makes rookie mistakes. He needs um his confidence is there, but sometimes it fades away. Just like like a normal rookie, you know, just nothing to be too worried about. Uh what's funny about the monsters though is their goaltender Brad Thiessen is also their goaltending coach. So <laughs> when the season started, right? <laughs> when the season started, he was just full on coaching Matisse and um Vavalainen. And then Corpusalo went down, Matisse went up, and Brad had to start backing up Vavalainen. And, and recently, they've been kind of sharing the duties. <laughs> so it's it's kind of um, interesting to watch because also whenever uh, Thiessen isn't on the bench and the national, like the Fox Sports Ohio or Sports Time is showing the game on television, he's also color commentating. <laughs> So he wears a lot of hats and does a lot of things for the team. Wow, that's even more than uh, player coach Reg Dunlop from Slapshot, uh, the, old, <laughs> the old hockey movie. But, uh, boy, when it comes to goaltending, the, the, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets like to draft goalies with the, uh, with the difficult names for the uh, broadcasters to say. You, you talked about Matisse, that's Matisse Kivalenix, and uh, Vavalainen is Vene Vavalainen, the, the Finn, Elvis Merzlikens is there, and uh, you mentioned uh, Eunice Corpusalo. 
I guess Brad Thiessen, he's he's got the uh, there, but there's no John Smiths or anything like that with this team. Right, not not anywhere in the team really. Like, yeah. if you if you even look at their their skaters, some of them have names, and you look at it and you're like, is it really pronounced the way? Yeah. <laughs> because um, it's Jacob Lilia, and I assumed from him being overseas that it was Jacob. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's Jacob. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some of them just throw you throw you for that that loop. I mean, and I think they're like total hockey names. What other sport has this many crazy names coming in to a league, right? That's true. That's true. Uh, one of those other guys that has been going back and forth this year, Andrew Peak, defenseman. He's uh, he's only got into 29 games in the American League because the rest of the time he's been, I was going to say up north, but uh, I don't know the geography in Cleveland or it's in, uh, in Ohio. <laughs> but I meant north as in the American League to the NHL, uh, up the ladder, to, so to speak. But uh, he's obviously had a pretty good season. He has. And so real quick, um, Columbus is two hours south <laughs> on Route 71 of Cleveland, Ohio. So it's uh, a nice little connector because Cincinnati is two, uh, two, two and a half hours south of um, Columbus okay. on 71. So maybe one day the Cyclones could be the ACHL team. It would make life really easy. Yeah, right. Um, right. So Andrew Peak is a gem. Honestly, when it comes to defense, he, he his I um he had a really good game for the Monsters when they won, and he had a multi-point game. So we got to interview him for post game, and he made it a point to say, you know, goals are nice, being able to play both ends of the puck is nice, but my job is a defender. I defend. If I can't do these defensive things properly, I'm not doing my job well. And I think for such a young guy in the league, that is such a big thing to say because so many defenders at the NHL level, they aren't focusing on defense as much anymore. You see more of them trying to score. You see it with the Zach Rowenskis, you know, like he's one of the best scorers on the team for the Jackets. And um, but because of that, when he makes a defensive mistake, it's very obvious and people start saying he's not as great, which I'm not saying that. but because people start looking at it, then his position is defense. And if you're making fundamentally unsound defensive plays, it doesn't look so good. Right. <laughs> so Andrew Peak, in his mind, is defense first, offense second. And I think, like I said, for a young guy, that's incredible. And it when he went up top, he got injured because apparently that's just what happens in, in Columbus and Cleveland this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had to take a little bit of break. <clears throat> he, when he came down after his injury, he looked a little bit apprehensive. Um, but then Dylan Simpson, who he kept being paired with, I think really, uh, brought his confidence back and it just explained to him, like, you know, injuries happen, you know, you got to get in there. You just got to do it. So, um, I think he got him out of that headspace because now he's back to his peak. Andrew Peak performance. <laughs> so <laughs> nice, nicely done. That was good. Uh, inter- <laughs> interestingly, it's a defenseman that leads the team in scoring in Adam Clendenning, uh, and not by an insignificant margin. He's yeah, there's a nice little cushion there between Clendenning and Stefan Matteau uh, atop the scoring for the team. Does, is that a bit of a surprise? Um, I don't think so because Adam Clendenning is the kind of guy who will do anything for the team, and a lot of his goals have come right from the point. They have come from a range in which a defender should be shooting from or setting up plays from. Um, I mean, his slapper is 
I would not want to be in front of it. No. <laughs> Put it that way. It's heavy. Um, on the power play, he, he just slaps him from the point and people leave him alone. No one tries to, I, I don't understand how after a season of a defender taking a good number of their shots from the point, specifically the right side of the point, I will not understand how people haven't swarmed him yet. They still leave him open. Hmm. So he still does it. And they sometimes they try to clog that lane, but you see them wince when he lets one go. So they already know <laughs> what's coming at them. So I, I think it's great to see Clendenning do that because like I said, he, he does whatever is good for the team. If he has to back off and just do, um, defense, that's great. And he's been playing, um, <clears throat> with all the injuries, he's been on both power play units. So he's basically on the ice for a solid two minutes. <laughs> wow. Elaine Shutcliffe yeah. is my guest. She writes for the Canon. Uh, that's at, for, uh, SB Nation, uh, covering the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, farm team, the Cleveland Monsters. You can follow her on Twitter at I'm a rain dancer, which uh, needs explanation. Uh, what's that all about? Um, so it's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's like a long story, and it sounds kind of sad, but it's really not. <laughs> um, when I was younger, I used to be like this. My parents called it a whimsical child. <laughs> um, I would always like go out and like dance in the rain, play in the rain, or like um, play in the snow all the time. Things that would make normal parents be like, "Oh my God, get in the house." My parents would just let it happen. Um, and we kind of started that like when my dad had had cancer. And, um, you know, we just kept doing that as, as like, a, as he went through treatments and he finally kicked cancer's butt and we celebrated by dancing in the rain. Nice. Um, and then when like somehow when I got older, I lost that whimsy a little bit when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my friend Kevin Neff, uh, he one day literally was like, oh, my God, you are so dark and twisty. <laughs> and he forced me without him knowing any of this about my dad. And I, he forced me out into the rain to dance in the middle of the school day, mind you. <laughs> and I'm like soaking wet. And it like kind of like reignited his friendship, helped reignite who I was as a person in high school. Um, and unfortunately, my senior year, he actually died of cancer. Oh, so like gosh. really weird, full circle, right? Really weird, full circle thing. So I'm one of those people where when I do something, it means something. And so when it came to come up with like a Twitter handle or like a scream name for AOL, <laughs> I wanted it to mean something, something important to me that every time I signed on, it was a reminder of who I was. So that's where that came from. Well, kind I- of long, sorry. <laughs> well, it's it's a lovely story outside of uh, the, the the one uh, sad part, but uh, thank you for the explanation. I appreciate that. Um, all right, well, well, we're talking Cleveland uh, Cleveland Monsters hockey. I was got tangled up. I started thinking Lake Erie in my head, and it, it threw me for a loop. But specifically, I wanted to ask you about a couple of players with an Edmonton connection. That's where I am, and uh, Dylan Simpson, Trey Fixelansky, both of them. Well, they're both from here. Uh, Simpson played uh, at uh, in, in Spruce Grove with the with the Saints before Goring to North Dakota, played a little bit with the Edmonton Oilers as well. This is a this is a banner season for him. He, he's on his way to setting career highs. He'll he'll finish this year with more points than he had at North Dakota in any season. And uh, I think you'd have to go back to his Spruce Grove days to see him uh, hit uh, the the numbers he's going to have this year. What's changed for him? I think uh, he's taken on a more leadership role. He's wearing the A. Um, <clears throat> the season started out with Nathan Gerby having the C for home games and Zach Dalpy having 
the C for away games. And then, you know, the other one was wearing the A whenever the other one was wearing the C. And he was the only one wearing the solid A. Mm. And then Dalby goes down with an injury. Gerby goes up to um, Columbus and, you know, Torts doesn't want to give him back. So <laughs> that leaves Simpson with this A consistently wearing the A. And I think he really embraced it. I think he wanted to show the players um, how you talk the talk and walk the walk. And he, I think he's also learning from the newer, the newer, younger guys because they pair him with either a guy that's struggling or a young guy who they've just brought in. So I um like Steve Johnson is on a PTO right now and they had him paired with Simpson until, you know, he started getting faster and better. Mm-hmm. And now he's on the first pairing because of injuries and the guys being up top. So like we have a PTO on the first pair. <laughs> um but a lot of that has to do with Simpson because Simpson also worked with Peak a lot in the beginning of the year to kind of get him out of those rookie that, you know, like the rookies have like their little ticks that cause them to make rookie mistakes. And, and Vincent talked with him a lot and worked with him a lot. And I think in turn, he learned a lot about his own game. Mm. Um, cause you see his game kind of change up a little bit. He positions himself better. Um, he will talk with the netminder a little bit more depending on who it is. And sometimes he'll like, he's picked up things from Anton Carlson, who has been playing on the third pairing a bit but um where he starts mirroring the goalie now which is very um out of Anton Carlson's playbook so he's learning from everyone he's a veteran but it's not beneath him to pick up different things that work for another guy and try them out and see if they work for him so I think that's kind of what's going on he's found a scoring touch too. eight goals uh, to this point in the season that's uh more than double uh, any other previous uh season in the American Hockey League so He's added that to his repertoire as well. Now, Trey Fix-Wolanski uh, was with the Edmonton Oil Kings up until, uh, well, this is his rookie year as a pro, uh, and he finished his tenure in the Western Hockey League as, uh, well, no question, the most prolific scorer the Oil Kings have had uh, in uh, in their, uh, what are they, up to 10 years now since uh, coming back to the league. Um, now, unfortunately for him, he got off to a good start and then got hurt, and he was out for a couple of months. Took Looks like it took him a while to, to get his feet going, um, but has that scoring has come around for him. What have you seen from, from Trey this year? And uh, maybe from your perspective, how's the season gone? I think for him, it is going very well, despite the injury. Um, I don't know what his injury was in the AHL, especially the Monsters and Jackets organization. They don't really let you know what the injury is, or even if it's a lower or an upper body. So I have to like look at the players and see, like, are they limping? Are they holding something weird? Mm even try and figure out so that I can assess how they play when they come back compared to what injury um, they've had. But for him, I just, um, I'm really impressed with him. I wasn't sure what to expect. I didn't know a lot about him when he came to the team. And it's a little bit disappointing to see that he hasn't been called up yet by the Jackets since they want someone with speed and offensive prowess because he has both. Um, He knows how to put himself in the right place at the right time. He is unafraid to pass the puck if he can't shoot it. And he's also not afraid to take a shot if he sees it. So there have been times when he has, you know, five registered shots on goal when the team's only had like 19. So he t- <laughs> he tends to fire off a lot of shots, but all of the shots have meaning. 
even the ones that aren't registered, mm-hmm. if they're missing the net, it's usually by just a bit. They're not going super wide or um, they're not like haphazard shots. Every time he releases the puck, it has a meaning, which um, is great to see because I think a lot of times people just want to put pucks on net just for the sake of putting pucks on net. And then when that happens, they start going all over the ice and then, you know, the other team picks it up and it's a bad thing. And, you know, he if someone takes off with his rebound, he is bound determined to go hunt that guy down and get his rebound back. (laughs) Like He is so unafraid of people. He modeled himself. He said that he has modeled himself after Nathan Gerby and Cam Atkinson. So I think it was great that he came here since they're both in this organization. Yeah. But there are other parts of him that are just so uniquely him, like his um, he is very infectious. He's a hype man for the team. He gets so excited for everyone. And I think it helps keep the team going when when they're not doing so well. You know, he just he loves to play the game and he loves to be a part of it. And I think that helps him as well, because even if he makes a mistake, he knows how to correct it. And he doesn't let it get inside his head. And that's something that Coach Mike Eves really preaches as well is, you know, take it shift by shift. You make a mis- mistake, whatever. Next next shift, you have it. And that's kind of how Fix Wolanski plays. We always saw the skill here and the, and the speed and that tenacity that you talked about. There was obviously concern, is he, how is he going to do as a pro at that height? Uh, hasn't held him back, though. You're not noticing a, a, an issue there. He certainly thrived and it didn't hold him back at all. It wasn't a hurdle for him at the WHL level, but, you know, a step up makes it a little bit more difficult. You've seen uh, a lot of players going back and forth from the American League to the NHL. You Do you do you see an NHL future for Trey Fix-Polanski? I think so. Um, he really should. I, I mean, I am blown away that he hasn't gotten that shot up there this season. And the only rational reason that I can think of for why is because he has, I think, two more years left on his contract after this year Mm -hmm. and I think 13 or 14 of the monsters are RFAs this summer and two are UFAs. So I wonder if they're trying to figure out who they're going to paper, who they're going to keep Mm. knowing that they still have fix for a few more years. I wonder if that's the reason or if they're trying to say his height, but they really can't say that since they had Gerby up there, (laughs) not the people over. Um, because he also, he plays so big. He plays, like, you f- sometimes forget how short he is until he's walking down the hall. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you're shorter than me. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So it, I, I, I personally think he will make it at the NHL level, hopefully soon. <laughs> that's, that's my thought. Elaine Shercliffe <laughs> covers the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets prospects in Cleveland uh, for SB Nation. That's at the Cannon. Uh, and you can read her stuff on Twitter. I'm a rain dancer. Um, Elaine, how long you been uh, on the beat for uh, the Blue Jackets? This is my fourth season covering the Monsters. Uh, so I started the year after they won the Calder Cup, the first year that uh, John Madden was there. What brought you to hockey in your career? So, <laughs> well, um, I popped out of the womb a hockey fan because my mom is this. My mom and her mom were like these huge Michigan and Detroit Red Wings. Hockey fans, which was really weird for me because I grew up in Chicago and <laughs> um, Chicago and Detroit at that time in the late 80s, early 90s weren't exactly like 
yay, friends. Yeah. And then we moved to Ohio and trying to explain to people in Ohio that I like University of Michigan hockey. Right. <laughs> I didn't, I did not make many friends. <laughs> um, and I had always my whole life wanted to be when I was in like the second grade, I actually told a substitute teacher that when I grew up, I wanted to be like an actress and a singer and a sports journalist. She thought the other two could totally happen. That, <laughs> But like being a, right. But being a woman as a sports journalist would not happen. Um, I mean, that was like the early 90s. So I guess I could see why she may be felt that way because there weren't a ton of you know women sports journalists out there or just women journalists in general um and I kind of took a back seat for a while and I moved to Columbus in 2012 you know the lockout year (laughs) because I I wanted to work in hockey so I picked the worst year moved to a hockey town (laughs) um and then I was I was kind of blogging a little bit for a Chicago Blackhawks blog and then an all women's run site at the time called Faceoff Violation about like three or four different teams, including the Jackets. And I was like really struggling with the fact that I really wanted to work in hockey. I really wanted to write and like actually make money or like, you know, be a beat reporter. And I was at a meet and greet event at the Jackets. It was like a season ticket holder event in uh, 2013. And I just went up to Bob McElligot with like such, <laughs> I like with such confidence. And I was like, hi, Mr. McElligot, my name's Elaine. And like, <laughs> I just like basically like made it known that I wanted to talk to him and get career advice. And he was so wonderful about it. And he was like, you should, you know, keep your eye on the AAA Blue Jackets, which is like the tier one elite um, organization down there mm. uh, where, uh, Connor Murphy and Trent Vogelhuber, Jack Rosvick, where they came from. Okay. <laughs> and I started following them on Twitter because I'm like, like Ed Ginger is the program director. I started following him on Twitter and then they said they needed an intern for communications. So I just reached out to him. And next thing I know, I'm going with the 2001 to Quebec City to cover the Quebec City tournament, which they ended up winning. Wow. <laughs> so it just kind of took off from there. And then for some reason, I moved to Oregon. <laughs> Still was covering the jackets for this one little site. And when I moved back, um, I wanted to cover, cover them still, but I was living in Akron again. So Cleveland and Akron are about 40 minutes away from each other. Okay. And they were like, well, there's an opening to cover, um, for the hockey writers to cover the, the monsters will give it some time. Maybe we can get you credentialed. And in the process, I also started covering the Buffalo Buttes of the NWHL in their first season. Right. Took a back seat to, I did that more because I felt like with, at the time I was working in retail and their games were on Sundays. So I was able to take the time off more to go cover them than the monsters, even though the monsters were like, <laughs> like 40 minutes away from me. I was traveling three hours there and three hours back on a Sunday to cover the Buttes. Wow. <laughs> um, and then I got credentialed after the Calder Cup season and I stopped covering the women's hockey because that would just be too much. And then my uncle um, paid me to quit my job until I found a job, a day job that would allow me to cover the monsters consistently and work on my writing. And that's kind of how I started really going full goal into the beat writing. I still have to have a, a day job to 
uh, supplement my income, but sure. it's a lot easier to work with than working in retail. Now, when you're doing the job as a woman, do you find like you're having to prove yourself? Do you do you find like people second guess you or, or maybe, you know, don't give you enough credibility uh, th- that you're still trying to earn that? Or have, have you had that experience? Um, not because I'm a woman. Um, I, I know that some women have had issues with people discounting their opinion because they're a woman. Mm-hmm. I, um, it's only because I'm not known and I write for an AHL team. And when people want the opinion, they want the Aaron Ports lines, the Brian Hedgers, the Allison Lucans, because they work for the athletic and the dispatch. And those are a little bit, um, people tend to trust that more. They're more out there. So, um, I had to fight hard for people to get to know my opinion. And honestly, um, a lot of people took me under their wing over these past four seasons. Like, scouts taught me how to take note different ways to take notes so I could see the game differently. Um, <clears throat> I've picked up a really good friend and mentor from a parent <laughs> of a player um, who saw something in me and thought I saw the game well. And we started talking about the game and now he's like my best friend. <laughs> so um, I, I haven't had any issues and sometimes I feel bad saying that because I want <laughs> These women who who do have these issues to feel sometimes I think people don't believe them because people like me are like, no, I have zero issues with being a woman in the sport. But I mean, I've seen it. I've seen other women just get teared down about their opinions just solely because they're a woman, Mm -hmm. where if I get teared down about my opinion, it's usually because someone doesn't. It's just they don't know who I am. They don't know that I'm actually a beat reporter. I don't have the little blue check mark. They look at me and they're like, ah. She's just some random fan, you know? Right. Um, but a lot of men have opened a lot of doors for me and a lot of men have really built me up. Um, and everything that I received, uh, criticism wise has been for nothing but good for me. Like none of it has been personal. None of it has been based on my appearance or who I am. It's all been based on making me a better beat reporter and a better person. And, um, I mean, I am so, so thankful for that because not a single person is giving me criticism for the most part is giving me criticism to tear me down. They are, they want me to be better. So I wish more women would have that. Well, no question about that. And it's funny, <laughs> you're almost looking for adversity just so you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've experienced that as well, but you haven't to this point. That's great. Um, does, is that, the, the same with with players and coaches as well that they they don't look at you differently uh, as uh, any of your male counterparts. Well, I think um I, I mean we don't really get to see much of the players. Like I, I mean I have a day job. I work forty to fifty eight hours a week, so I don't get to go to practice. Okay. I'm literally just in the rink on game day, and it's usually like two hours before the game, and then you know after the game writing the article. So I don't, I don't really get to create those relationships with the players uh, like most people do. And and neither does my counterpart beat reporter, Jeff Schladell, who is a newspaper writer in this area for the news Herald, but he covers every single pro team and, and high school teams and mentors. So (laughs) he's got the big four, he's got the big three and then the monsters and then all the high school stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's not around either. So I feel like, they keep us on the same playing level, I think, because they don't really know us that well. Right. Um, but, you know, the coaches try to get to know us, which is nice. Like John Madden was just so great. Um, he 
acknowledged just a lot. And sometimes I would like tweet at him and say like, you know, coach Madden and, you know, put his handle in, in the Twitter and be like, this is what makes him a great coach. This is what makes him a good man, stuff like that. And I didn't know if he actually read his tweets. And then one day at the end of the season, he was like, I thank you for all the kind words you said about me this summer, this, this season on Twitter. And I was just like, what? (laughs) Well, you actually, okay, cool. And, and he, you know, people forget that these players and coaches, they watch, they see everything that people put on Twitter a lot. And um, I think, you know, that's where they start to build their relationships at first is seeing what people say and then decide whether to take their wall up or down. I like, but like I said, I wish I had, more chances to get them to know them better, especially this new coach, Mike Eves, because he has some serious like dad energy with like his good, right? Like he has good advice that for players that turns into life advice for me. Um, you know, he, at the beginning of the season, he said in, um, media day about how, you know, you get to decide how you're going to react and how you're going to live your life and, that falls on you. And he was talking about in the sense of hockey. <laughs> um, but like I took that to heart because it's true. And then around New Year's Eve, he had said something along the lines of, you know, the shift by shift mentality is that we all make mistakes. It's how we react from them. And I was like, OK, that's cool. <laughs> like, Great. And then just recently, I was actually having a really bad day at work and then a bad day at the game. And the team didn't play well. And he dropped this whole line about how, you know, even we have bad days and we just want to stay in our bed all day. And I was like, I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to get to know him better because he seems like an all around great person. Well, that's great. Elaine, listen, I really appreciate your time and and, uh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, I look forward to uh, reading more of your stuff uh, through SB Nation uh, covering the, uh, the Cleveland Monsters for the canon. Uh, and following you on Twitter again. That's at I'm a Rain Dancer on uh, Twitter. I hope we. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you again. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'll talk to you later then. That was Elaine Shercliffe uh, covering the Cleveland Monsters, the uh, farm club for the Columbus Blue Jackets. An update on well, specifically on a couple of guys who uh, have pretty direct ties here to uh, the Edmonton area with uh, Dylan Simpson and Trey Fix Wolanski. Both of them having a well, Simpson definitely having a fantastic year for him, a career season for him as a pro, and a Fix Walensky playing well, but missed a, a couple of months of the season, his uh, rookie season, uh, with the Monsters, and that's unfortunate for him, but uh, good to see that he is uh, playing well now that he's uh, back and playing healthy. You don't talk enough American Hockey League, and uh, maybe that's something I'll try to uh, fix here uh, the rest of uh, season 15 and moving forward. With the show, if you want me to talk more American Hockey League, uh, let me know, and I can get Elaine on again and uh, some other uh, AHL scribes that I follow on Twitter uh, that I can bring on the show. If uh, that is something that you, the listener, would like, uh, please let me know. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at tps underscore gee. Next up, uh, joining us uh, via the Troubled Monk Hotline, uh, we will head back to the uh, Western Hockey League, and uh, my guest will be Mary Gates. She is the Director of Communications for the Tri-City Americans. What does that mean? Get to know what her job is all about and her experiences uh, working in a uh, very male-dominated hockey atmosphere, especially in the Western Hockey League. Although, interestingly enough, the way she describes the Tri-City Americans, maybe they're a bit ahead of their time. I'll let her tell you about that next here on the Pipeline Show. 
Hey, it's Michael Rasmussen of the Tri-City Americans. Collected by Elgison, thrown away Sandu. Slot Rasmussen, he scores! A natural hat-trick in the first American hat-trick in three years. How about that? And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca.